0: So we're in a series titled, Who is God? And in fact, we're nine weeks into this series. And I hope it's been as rich for you as it has been for me. Our theme verse during this series is Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 23, 24. This also happens to be our memory verse for the month. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. We are trying to increase our understanding of God so that we may deepen our knowledge of him. Uh, we, we want our mental image of God to be correct so that our relationship with God can go deep. So each week we're looking at an attribute of God, and today's attribute is God's love. Do you appreciate it when people forgive you? Are you thankful when they stick with you, even when you're acting like a jerk? Or when they don't give up on you, even when you've given up on yourself? You know... None of that would be in our lives if God were not a God of love. The song says, love makes the world go round. Love is the sweetest thing in our existence. But if love were not an attribute of God, there would be no love in the world. Think about that. He would not have built love into the universe he created. I, I, am, I often imagine what life would be like if God were not who he is. And, and the thought is staggering. Can you imagine if there were no love in the world because God were not a God of love? Would we want to be here? What a terrible place. In fact, uh, one, one thing we know about hell is there will be no God in hell, and thus there will be no love in hell. What a terrible place. So I think that we, it's appropriate to start the topic today just saying, God, thank you for being who you are. Thank you that you are the God who delights in love and justice, right? We are alive. Everything that we have that is good comes from God. It all flows from who God is. And so what a a glory it is today to preach on uh, the love of God. Probably the most famous... Uh, verse in the Bible regarding God's love is First John chapter four verse eight, where the Apostle John, sometimes called the Apostle of Love, because he talks a lot about God's love, says, "God is love." What a tremendous statement! God is love. In other words, you cannot think about God apart from love. You can't talk about God apart from love. Everything that God does is loving. But what is love? Now it's important to understand that in. John is not here defining God, he's describing God, and there's a big difference. You see, if you some people make the mistake of saying, God is love, oh, love is God. And so they worship love. But we don't worship love, we worship God who loves. God, the, love is an attribute of God. Love is not God. And so unfortunately, some people elevate love, they worship love, and of course they define love however they want to, right? And so they, they, maybe they define love romantically. God is love. Well, that would mean that he doesn't want me to be in my loveless marriage. He wants me to, you know, divorce my spouse and go be with the one I love because God is love. He understands that. He wants that for me. Or, or they define love as tolerance. And so God would never, ever send someone to hell because God is love. God would never uh, prefer one kind of, uh, lifestyle over another. God's love, he accepts everyone uh, just the way they are with no differentiation. But is that what, what God's love means? Or mo- maybe they elevate uh, erotic love and they worship it and they make that the goal of their life. So yes, God is love. But do we understand what that means? And, and how do we understand what it means? Well, you have to understand by looking at the whole Bible. What does God do? What does he say? He is the definition of love. We can't just uh, put upon him our own understanding of love or our, or our own preferences, right? So, so what I want to do today is I want to talk about what, what in fact is God's love. And I want to use a definition by uh, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. I think he does a great job summarizing the Bible's teachings on God's love. So here it is, and then we're going to unpack it. God's love is an exercise of his goodness toward individual sinners, whereby having identified himself with their welfare, he's given his son to be their savior, and now brings them to know and enjoy him in a covenant relation. All right, we're going to unpack that. We're going to take that apart. So number one, God's love is an exercise of his goodness. You and I don't merit God's love. God does not love us because we're lovable. He, in fact, in 1 John 4, verse 10, it says, "In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. He didn't wait for us to be lovable. He just loves us. It's an expression of his goodness. It's in God's nature to love. And this is wonderful news. It's wonderful news because uh, you don't have to wait until you're good enough to warrant God's love. Because frankly, we'd never get there. No matter where you are, God wants to love you. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8. We are told that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God acted in unbelievable love toward us while we were shaking our fist in His face, while we were running from Him, while we were rebelling against Him, while we were disobeying Him, while we were were defying Him, while we were being supremely unlovable, He loved us. So, you might think to yourself... wait a second, Mike, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how far I've run and how for how long. I'm unlovable. No, you're not. Well, yes, you are. So am I. But God loves you regardless. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about the fact that his nature is to love. And so no matter where you find yourself today, if you will open your life up to God's love, he will be there. He wants to be there. What glorious news. You're not too far for God to love you. His love is at your doorstep. Will you open the door? So God is, God's love is an exercise of his goodness. Secondly, it's an exercise of his goodness toward Sinners toward sinners. In first John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 we read. In this is love, uh, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God, God's love, God loves us in the way we need to be loved. That's a wonderful thing about God's love. He doesn't love us, you know, unmatched to our need. God knows that our greatest need is to be saved from his wrath that rests upon us because of our sin. And so God sent his son. God's love was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. Now, God loves all humans. He loves people, all those that he has created. And the love of God, we see it in the fact that he makes the sun rise upon the righteous and the wicked, and it rains upon the righteous and the wicked. He's indiscriminate in his providential love for people. And God's love has has moved him to provide for sinners a way of escape. And that is available to all people on planet Earth. God has loved all of us in the sending of his son. But we, we will not benefit from that love. We can't enter into that love unless we acknowledge that we are sinners. Unless we say, God, I admit that I need your love manifest to me in the sending of your son. So I think about my friend Kahn in college I loved Khan, and uh, I got him to come to uh, hear Ravi Zacharias at the uh, Veritas Forum, after which uh, Khan said, okay, okay, I I think I can buy into there being a God. I can even believe that Jesus is God, but do I have to admit that I'm a sinner? I said, yes. I "I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, until Khan is willing to, to admit that he's a sinner, he will not be able to experience God's love for him because God's love is for sinners. So God's love is an exercise of his goodness towards sinners, toward individual sinners. God does not save groups. He saves individuals. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 12, we read this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's an offer extended to every person on planet Earth. I give you the right to be my child if you will receive my son Jesus as your personal Savior. If you will believe in him. But But... but have you done that, right? I'm not, I, now I'm not even speaking to the group because God's speaking to you personally. Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you believe in Him? If so, look at this promise. I give you the right to be my child. Elsewhere, the Bible says your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But only you can answer that question. You're not going to get to heaven because your uncle's a pastor. You're not going to get to heaven because your mom and dad are Christians. You're not going to get to heaven because you were there when your nephew and your niece were were baptized. It's have you received Christ or not. You know that. God loves you. He's provided his son Jesus Christ for you. But you have to respond to God's love manifest. In Jesus. So God's love is an exercise of his goodness toward individual sinners. Number four, God's love for sinners involves identifying himself with their welfare. This is amazing. So a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, the fact that God is independent, which means uh, God does not need us. Prior to creation, God existed perfectly complete. He had everything he needed within himself. And yet God chose to create a world and he has chosen to bind himself to our welfare. Because God loves us, what happens to us matters to him. He cares. That's incredible. Why would he choose to to love us like that? That's risky, right? What matters to us matters to God. He has identified himself with our welfare. And we see this we see this in God's uh, grief the grief that God has when, when people reject Jesus. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 As I live declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his ways and live turn back Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die? You hear God's heart? He, he, he cares. He loves people. He knows that people have sinned, and the, and the penalty of sin is death. And he knows, but, but he's given his son Jesus. And he's saying, come on, i provided a way for you to, to have life. Why would you die? There's God's heart. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we're told God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is his heart for you. He wants you to live, and he's provided a way through the death of his son. And then this great verse, Luke chapter 15, verse 10. I tell you, this is Jesus talking, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner, who repents. You want to make God rejoice? Then find forgiveness through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. One person out of billions on planet Earth, when just one sinner repents, all of heaven breaks out into a party because what, matters to, uh, uh, what happens to us matters to God. Isn't that incredible? The creator of the universe, he threw the stars into the sky... And what happens to you matters to him. He grieves when you reject his son. He rejoices when you repent and find life. This is not the worldview of evolution, is it? In which we are just products of random chance. This is the Christian worldview of a personal God who loves his creation and cares about us. Why would we run from that kind of love? Why would we stiff arm and deny that kind of love? Number five, God God's love to sinners was expressed by the gift of His Son to be their Savior. Most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved the world that He had created, the people that He had created in His image, and His love moved Him to act on our behalf. In fact, He he sent His only begotten Son, the One Most Precious, so that We could live. Whoever believes. That offer is made to all people. You know, the measure of love is how much it's willing to give, right? Don't just tell me you love me. Show me you love me. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The cross is the symbol of Christianity because it is the symbol of love. There is no greater symbol than this. How much does God love me? This much. Enough that he died for me. I love how Jesus makes it super clear. I am hanging on this cross. No one takes my life from me. I'm up here not because I failed, not because others have overpowered me, right? I am here willingly. I'm hanging here by choice because I love you. And I know that your sin deserves death, and I don't want you to die, so I'm going to die in your place. This is how much I love you. Do you when, you, when you ponder the cross, when you look at the cross, do you see in it God's the measure of God's love for you? He couldn't love you anymore. No, no greater love has a man than this. He'd lay his life down for his friends. It's staggering love. And again, we don't merit that. God doesn't care where you are right now. It is His nature to love you. He has sent His Son out of His love for you. So no matter where you find yourself, if you turn to Him, if you will believe Him and receive Him, God's love is right there to transform your life. Finally, God's love reaches its objective as it brings people to know and enjoy him in a covenant relation. So God's love has a goal or a desire, right? God's love for us has a longing, and his longing is to be in relationship with us forever and ever and ever. And he's made the way through Christ's death, but you've got to understand, God longs to be in a relationship with you. In, Je- in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, we read, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In other words, we should be with him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God predestined us for adoption as sons. God's love has a, has a goal, and it's that you would be in an eternal relationship with him as his child. Forever and ever and ever. Don't you want that? God wants that with you. Why would we say no to? So I've So I've had this uh, image in, in my mind as I've thought about God's love this week of, a, of a, a beautiful lake. And it's crystal clear. You can drink the water. And it's warm. It's at whatever temperature you like lakes to be. And humanity is on, is on the beach. Dusty. Thirsty, exhausted. And God says, here's here's the lake I've made for you, and I invite all of you, come in. Rest, enjoy, splash around with me. This is awesome. And unfortunately, the majority of the world stays out on the bank. But then there are some who enter in, and it changes life. It's a totally different and better way to exist. God loves all people, but not all people are experiencing the love of God in the same way. You've got to understand that. God loves all people, but most people experience his providential love over creation, right? The sun comes up and down, the rain falls. But they're not enjoying that special relationship made possible Jesus. God's love for them is on display in the cross, it's it's offered to them but they're not stepping in so they're not entering into the pool and their life isn't fundamentally changed. And so we need to be joining God and inviting people that we know, come in, it's better, it's awesome here. God loves you. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. Who cares what you've done? Come in. God invites you. It's a fundamentally better way to live. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, we are told, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. When you begin to experience the love of God for you in Jesus Christ, it pushes fear out of your life. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear comes from a belief that we're going to be hurt, that, that something's going to damage us. But when we come to understand that God is tied his welfare to ours. Because once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become his child. And just like any parent who cannot rest when, when, the, when their child is not you know, healthy and happy, that's the way God has tied himself to us. And he's got all the power in the universe to back that up. And so we're safe, we're absolutely safe. Because God said, I'm not going to rest until I take you safely home to be with me forever and ever. And the Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? We are absolutely safe in his care. I love what A.W. Tozer says about this. Let a man become convinced that nothing can harm him and instantly for him, all fear goes out of the universe. Nothing can harm you if you are a Christian. You are under the divine, protecting love of God. You are safe in His care. And God wants His love to drive the fear out of your life. I think this is why the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, and I pray for you, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants you to understand how much he loves you in Jesus. Because he wants, he wants that to transform your life. He wants it to push fear out of your life so that it will be very placed with peace and joy. I'm safe in the arms of the God who loves me.